Hey everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Ladder Side of Baseball, and what a great day it is today. We have less than three weeks till pitchers and catchers report, and uh, assuming that they report on time, assuming that uh, they have figured out what they're going to do in Major League Baseball in terms of dealing with the pandemic. We've been talking about the pandemic for almost a year. We tried to give everybody an hour's worth of uh, comfort. I guess comfort, I don't know. Uh, you know, if you want to get on your exercise bike or go for a ride, listen to me for an hour, you're definitely going to get away from the uh, COVID. The vaccinations are around the corner, maybe. I don't know how far away that corner is, but, uh, you know, we're getting there. And even though the snow's on the ground, the Chiefs leave for Tampa in another week and uh, hopefully come back with their second Super Bowl Lombardi trophy. Isn't that exciting? But let's talk baseball for a few minutes. Today, we're going to be joined in a little while by Craig Kishan, the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers and currently the Milwaukee Bucks. And so we're going to uh, catch up with Craig. It's our second episode, show, whatever you want to call it, of 2021. It's going to be a great year. It cannot be any worse than last year. And I think it's going to be much better. I think we're going to have 162 games. I think we're going to have a DH in the American League, but not in the National League. We're not going to start runners off at second base. We're going to have 162 fun-filled games. And at the end of the season, uh, they'll come up with some format for the playoffs that the Players Association will agree to. And then uh, after the World Series, they'll go to war with the uh, uh, Players Association and jack around till who knows when. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that won't uh, be the case and uh, they can get a deal. Everybody's making a lot of money. Let's get on down the road. Uh, who knows who's going to be the villain, the owners, the players, uh, Boris, or the union chief. At any rate, we don't know. Let's not talk about that. Uh, we don't have... A lot of happy stuff to talk about today, but interesting stuff we're going to talk with Craig Kishan about. We're going to visit with uh, Craig about the uh, recent Hall of Fame uh, players who have passed away uh, in the last month, none other than Don Sutton and uh, Hank Aaron, both of whom are near and dear to all of us, even if we don't know them. I did have the opportunity, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Year three, I probably told them in year one, so probably if you listen to me now, you probably weren't listening to me back then. Nah, I'm kidding, everybody. Uh, I'm telling you what, the, the listening audience is growing by leaps and bounds. I'm talking to uh, somebody to do a uh, web page, whatever you call it, for the lighter side of baseball. I'm going to uh, hopefully snag a piece of pizza from... Uh, my buddy at uh, Papa Kino's, and uh, we'll go from there. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking good things in 21. It'll be fun. And uh, there you go, the first rhyme uh, of the year. Uh, anyway, you don't listen to me for rhymes. You listen to me for facts and information. Don Sutton. So there I am trying to make the baseball team and the worst baseball team ever assembled in the National Collegiate Athletic Association, none other than the 1969 edition of the SMU Mustangs, and we were pathetic. But uh, while I was out there trying to make the team, and I did make the team two years in a row before I finally figured out that uh, sitting on the bench, not playing, 
on a team that's 8 and 90. Probably not going to cut it in the major leagues. But hey, you know what? I probably should have stuck around. And uh, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> I do. Would have been ugly. I never graduated. Wouldn't be a lawyer. Wouldn't be retired. Wouldn't be talking to you guys. Anyway, I am, and fate is certainly beautiful. Anyway, so there's Don Sutton, and he shows up before anybody had ever heard of Don Sutton, especially me, in 1969. He shows up with uh, a, t a fellow named Ted Ulander, who is not in the Hall of Fame, but was with the Minnesota Twins at that time. And Sutton, I believe, was with the Dodgers. He had broken in. In 1966, played 37 games uh, in which he appeared through um, a number of innings, over 200 innings in his first year, 1966, 67, 68. So this was getting ready for his fourth year as a major leaguer, and he shows up at our field to practice with Ulander. I have no idea why. He obviously knew somebody on the team, and he wanted to come over and you know, loosen up and face some fierce batting practice by some of our pathetic pitchers. So uh, there he is. It's raining. It's about 35 degrees in Dallas. Yeah, they can have bad weather in Dallas. And here's uh, Sutton out there with a uh, sleeveless shirt, you know, kind of three-quarters. He did, it came down to his bicep, and he and Ted are throwing the ball, you know, 200 feet, zipping it around. And I turned to whoever I was playing catch next to, and I said, these guys, this guy. Now, Ulander had this vinyl, you know, sweatsuit on all the way down to his wrist. So he was going to be a stud. Sutton, I'm going, this guy's never going to get anywhere. He's going to throw his arm out. It's freezing. And this guy's out throwing long toss before they even, nobody even had heard of long toss, but they're doing it. And uh, that was Sutton. That's my Sutton story. Pretty pathetic. Now, I have a Hank Aaron story, too. And we're going to talk in great detail about Don and Hank. Uh, in just a few minutes with uh, Craig, because both of them were on pennant-winning teams for uh, the Milwaukee baseball. Yeah, Sutton was on the American League, not the National League, the American League, Milwaukee Brewers, Harvey Wallbangers, man, who went to the World Series against St. Louis Cardinals, and, of course, Henry, who had his best year in 1957, was a good friend of Dave Nelson's, and we ran into Hank and Billy, his wife, at a restaurant in Chicago, and I pestered Nellie until he'd go over and introduce me to Hank, and much to Nellie's chagrin, uh, I went over there, dragged Dave, shook his hand, said, we don't want to interrupt your dinner, but we did, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talked for a few minutes, and that was it. Uh, that's my, that's, you know, there's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, I have two degrees of Dave Nelson. I do know a few people, like I said, the Don Sutton story, that's free and clear, Nelly. Uh, Aaron's not free and clear. I told the Lou Brock story. There's another guy that just passed away, another Hall of Famer. I got a, I got a Lou Brock story. So, and I've told this before on the air. There I am in uh, Chicago, hanging out with Nelly after a ball game, and some of my derelict high school friends who will remain nameless. At any rate, of these three guys that I was with, maybe there were four, uh, I knew that three were capable of civility, and the other was not. It's going to be a crapshoot. We walk into uh, a famous steakhouse. It was a chain, you know. Can you imagine going to a chain steakhouse in Chicago when there's so many local steak places that are really, really good? But anyway, we did. And who is at the bar 
but Lou Brock. And so, you know, Nellie goes over there, and of course, we just kind of, oh, wander wherever Nellie goes. <laughs> we were his fan club that night. And uh, he walks on over and, you know, starts talking to his good buddy, Lou Brock. And of course, they are connected with this tremendous amount of knowledge on base stealing. Brock, who hold, at that time held the record before Ricky Henderson, and Nellie, who, you know, was an accomplished base stealing, a great coach, as is evident by all the players he was able to coach on, on base running. And so Nellie proceeds to talk with Lou in our presence for about a half an hour, and uh, nobody in my group of uh, uh, moronic friends uh, insulted or had any racial slurs towards Lou Brock, which, of course, I breathed a sigh of relief on because uh, you never knew. You never knew about a few guys, but uh, by and large, all civil, and I don't mean to infer that any of these folks were racially prejudiced, but every now and then, uh, one of these guys might let something slip, and I wasn't quite sure, but he behaved himself, and uh, thanks to uh, to that, we had, a, we had a fun night with Lou Brock. Now, Bob Gibson also passed away. I got a Bob Gibson story when we, uh, family owned the Omaha Royals, our general manager, uh, Bill Gorman, who had been the general manager for the Omaha Royals for decades, uh, asked if I wanted to go meet Bob Gibson. And I know I've told this story before, but maybe somebody out there that's new, you know, we have thousands of new listeners every day. Maybe somebody out there, uh, you know, it's new. So yeah, uh, he asked if I wanted to go meet Bob Gibson. And I go, yeah. And he says, you grab a baseball so you can have Bob sign a baseball. I'm going, you know, the guy is not known to be friendly. Is, he, is this going to be okay? And he goes, yeah, you know, he's retired. He's really a good guy. He owns a, uh, a restaurant, bar. And, uh, you know, Han, so let's just uh, see if we can catch him. And we did. We head over, and, of course, Gorman and he talk. And Gibson is not as tall as he looked on the mound. I mean, my image of Bob Gibson is he's 6'5". He's got shoulders that are about 12 feet wide. His waist is about 8 inches around. You know, this guy, one of the all-time great right-handed pitchers, I mean, only Tom Seaver, who just passed away also, might uh, uh, rival in the modern era, in the flannel era, in my era, might uh, rival him as the, a great right-handed pitcher. But, I mean, Gibby could flat-out throw, and he was kind enough to sit down in a booth, shoot the breeze, buy me a beer, and uh, sign a baseball. And uh, thank you to Bob Gibson, and that was my... Bob Gibson's story, my Tom Seaver story, well, you know, it's legendary with Nelly, GTS, Great Wine, uh, if only I could get back on the list uh, to get some more wine. I mean, that wine's hard to get. You can't get it, you know? You can't get it. You can't go on wine.com and buy GTS wine. And uh, what a great pitcher, what a great ambassador, what a great guy. So that uh, that's it. That's my, that's my uh, nostalgia. Uh, for now, and my intro into the show with uh, Craig Kashan. And uh, I hope to have Craig on whenever he works. I don't. He does the Bucks pregame, postgame. I don't. He's going to do the Brewers pregame and postgame. I don't. But if I can get a vaccine, get to Milwaukee, and uh, in time for Nelly Palooza 3, which is coming in April, that'd be great. Well, I hope I can do that, and I'm looking forward to it. So, for now, we're going to take a break on the lighter side of baseball, and when we come back from our break, 
we should have none other than Crankshot. So, until then, listen to the music. It could be jazz. It could be modern. The last music was really good, and uh, Tyler does a great job. So, we'll uh, take a break, listen to music, and be back with Craig Deshaun in just a few minutes. live in Overland Park on the lighter side of baseball, and we are waiting to be joined by you-know-who, Craig Kashan of the Milwaukee Brewers broadcast crew and the Milwaukee Bucks broadcast crew. We'll catch up a little bit with Craig on the Bucks. We'll catch up a little bit with Craig on the uh, COVID-19 situation up in Milwaukee, Madison, and wherever else you might be, and that's going to be exciting. I'm sure that'll be gripping conversation. I'm just trying to get a vaccination. I mean, I'm telling you what, it's easier to get a foul ball uh, at Wrigley Field than it is to get a vaccination. Yeah, that's a pretty funny comparison out there. Hey, the listening audience is getting bigger on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on Apple iTunes. And we are growing by leaps and bounds. We have planned uh, to open up a uh, a web page on the uh, wide world of... uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's going to be great. On the letter side of baseball, you can you can dial that up, Google it, do whatever, and it'll be up and running in maybe another month when we get a sponsor to pay for it. You guys are expensive out there. I mean, everybody's making money on this show but me. I mean, leaps and bounds. Listening goes up and uh, who knows. So uh, we're looking forward to talking a little bit about the Hall of Fame talking a little bit about spring training, but most of all, talking a little bit about the uh, passing of a couple legends, none other than Don Sutton and uh, Hank Aaron. So uh, as you heard on the intro to this podcast, we'll be uh, talking a little bit about some of our common respect for not only Hank Aaron, but Don Sutton. And then we'll get into uh, spring training and some other things and who knows where it's going to go, but it always is fun and it's always entertaining and everybody out there likes Craig better than me. So I'm glad he's going to be back. So we will uh, await his call. And when he gets ready to pop in, we will be ready to roll on the lighter side of baseball. We'll take a little break and we'll be back with Craig Kishan. Hey everybody, as I promised, we're joined by the legendary voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, my good buddy, Craig Kashan, and uh, he's having a busy day. Walk the dogs, I know that, right? And now he tells me he has to go get a haircut. How's it going? Yeah, uh, it's one thing after another on the big agenda today in the middle of winter, Wisconsin, man. Three degrees, and wow. uh, I can't wait to talk a little baseball with you and, and hope that we can get everything going here soon get players going in a month or so whenever they're going to report and get things rolling, man. A lot of uncertainty. Yeah. What are you hearing about that? Uh, uh, honestly, uh, a lot of uncertainty. There's, there's the only thing that is 
on a calendar right now is is the spring training schedule and this and the 2021 season i mean i i don't think anybody has a a specific report date yet in february well and i saw where maricopa county and disinvited everybody to spring training yeah well i mean that that was interesting that was an interesting um find. did you read all that by the way you know, I read it and I thought it would be more authoritative than it really was. I guess it's sort of a, they don't have any authority to keep them out. Yeah. And so, um, and I, I, us 15 communities built your stadiums for you and we rely on fans to come in and make our money over the course of that six weeks. We're not going to have any fans in here. Then how are we going to make money? Why don't you delay this by a month or so? And into the middle into the middle of February and baseball, I think the response from baseball is pretty much, um, you know, we've got a schedule. We've got to keep it. We're playing 162 games and spring training won't be starting in the middle of March. So, oh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a request. Well, they can always go to Florida and share the uh, complexes or go to some of the abandoned complexes, not to. Not that they'll do it. I'm always leery of a season that starts on April Fool's Day, though. Uh, yeah, you know yeah. it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And spring training can't get here soon enough, but it just doesn't seem like there's no anticipation in the air. Maybe that's because it's still got COVID nineteen and uh, the like. I don't know. Maybe you're more excited than I am, but I I just don't believe they're going to actually report on. February 18th or whatever the report date is. Well, they may not. I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're getting to the point now where we're into January and, and uh, usually by now there's uh, great anticipation of, you know, even the, um, at, at all the respective stadiums and, and having their big send off and traveling down and, you know, coaches getting, you know, down to the complex in, in, in early February. But I think, you know, I think part of the part of the issue right now is uh, incorporating your minor league guys because everybody reports at the same time. And I can't speak for the Cubs complex specifically, but I would imagine it's pretty similar to what the Brewers have. And within one giant facility, indoor facility, they have um, their minor league guys and major league guys. And in the Brewers Clubhouse alone, it is uh, for spring training. They have between seventy and eighty ball players in there, and yeah. it, there's buddy. Problem is now with social distancing and all this kind of stuff. What do you What do you do with half your team, and how do you, you know? I I don't think those decisions have been made. Maybe maybe they have. They're just not public. But I think that's going to be the the hard thing is. Do you just have your 40 man roster and your um, uh, invites that you sign to your big league club come in and maybe you only have 50 guys max uh, come in and bring the minor league guys in a month later. I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I, I have heard of that as being, you know, one of the scenarios forms. Well, and it's, you raise a great point about sharing complexes because I think most every team shares shares those beautiful new 
uh, complexes with another team. So you got the weight room issues, you got the batting cage issues, you've got social distancing. Does uh, MLB sneak in line and get all their players vaccinated? <laughs> I keep waiting for that, don't you? Yeah, you know, the whole <clears throat> the whole vaccination thing is, I mean, period, the whole vaccination thing is is a crazy, it's like a mystery and it shouldn't be for any, like you and I should be, should be knowing what's going to be happening in our lives in the next month. I, you know, I'm like, what am, what am I supposed to be doing out here? What, what are you supposed to be doing out here? Why are, why are some people getting vaccinated and some not? We have, we have prisoners in the state of Wisconsin who are first in line to get <laughs> a, a lot. I mean, go figure, man. I, I don't know how this is all going to shake out, but if it's me, if I'm, if I'm a player, if I'm a league, I'm doing whatever I can to get that in for these guys and, and get them vaccinated ASAP. I, I think it would certainly bring down a lot of angst and their comfort level. If just going to be them, at least they, they know they're all vaccinated. Right. Well, when you mentioned prisoners, man, I've got one listener that I guarantee he, if we had a call in, he'd be calling in right now because he's been saying that he's from, He's lived in California, he's lived in Arizona, and he's kind of like not a real fan of how some of these things are going down. But um, yeah, I figured right after Tony Fauci, I mean, I'm over 70, I'm fat, I got all sorts of health problems. I should have been, they should have sent me an invitation. Instead, you know where the Euchre seat is up there in the 14th level of, of whatever the name of the ballpark is now, it's easier to get a foul ball up there than it is to get a vaccination, you know? Yeah. And that's like 700 feet from home plate. This is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it just doesn't, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And, and, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know what to make of it other than the fact that I'm, I'm doing what I can to, to stay away from, you know, the riffraff and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we, we just had, um, uh, in our state up here, it looks like they're going to uh, rescind the governor's order of uh, having to wear a mask. And that's this. It's not going over well right now. This is not the time for that. I'm telling you what, having experienced north central Wisconsin for months at a time, it's better to not see anybody. Those people are crazy. It's like they don't believe in masks. They don't believe in anything other than doing whatever they want. That's why I, even in the summer, I try to wear an orange jumpsuit so I don't get shot being, you know, mistaken for some animal. <laughs> but why don't they have, like, instead of bat day or you know, a giveaway, let's have vaccination day. Anybody with a ticket, a paid admission, get a vaccine. I mean, what's wrong with that? I'm with you, man. That's a great idea. Well. I'll call Rob and see if he can incorporate that in the major leagues. But it's uh, you're, it's just I'm registered in every place that we might arguably have a house. And so, you know, you'd figure as old as I am and et cetera, I'd be right up there. But new, no, I don't know. I've, I'd like to see uh, all the season ticket holders get vaxxed right to the head of the line. Uh, all the beer vendors go to the head of the line. Uh, and anybody that's going to cook a hot dog, go to the head of the line. And I'm there at Wrigley and Miller Fan Park or whatever you call it. And uh, be happy to, you know, get back in the press box up there visiting 
with you and Augie and sitting around doing the uh, keeping a scorecard and then watching you head off to the to the uh, Nelly Pavilion for the post game. I'm pumped. I, I'm ready to go. Let's get it on. I am too. I just don't know if it's going to be quite like that for this upcoming season. I I, I don't know. I'm I, I certainly am not as skeptical as an individual as you are on a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to be upbeat. But I'm trying to be I'm trying to be realistic too because I I um I I've been around a people who have worked in the in the um, pharmaceutical field through this vaccination and you know these people have you know off the record have pretty much said don't expect anything to be normal uh, until the first normal they predict will be everybody will be back in school in the fall of 2021. They said that's going to be your first time being normal is having uh, the, the kids that, you know, through high school and, and colleges and stuff, they said that'll be your first sign of normalty if they can get back by the time fall of 21 classes are scheduled to start. Not now, not summer. So I don't know. It seems realistic the way this, this vaccine is being distributed right now and some of the uncertainties that we face in sport yeah i wonder uh given all that i wonder if, and, and you know major league baseball has become a very copycat league they watched the bubble with the hockey and with the basketball last season they've watched them now go back to you know their own stadiums albeit without fans so i'm assuming that the mlb will file suit and that the Brewers will go to Milwaukee and the White Sox and Cubs will go to Chicago, blah, 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 blah. But whether or not they ever allow fans, I don't know. How can the Chiefs have 20,000 people at their game before they go on to take on the uh, Green Bay Packers in the Super? Oh, wait a minute. The Packers. (laughs) How did that happen? Don't get me started on that. Go Pack Go. I told you for a Bears fan. It was hard to root for either Brady or Rogers, and I, Kay goes in the middle of the game. Who are you rooting for? I usually can tell by your profanity, and I'm telling you, I, I was just, as I told you, I was hoping for a six-quarter tie. And uh, <laughs> well, it, uh, I think that our our beloved Green Bay Packers are have entered the world of being jinxed in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, like. Vikings were in the Super Bowls of yesteryear. Rodgers has advanced once in five tries in the chip game. Well, and he he looked ten years older in the in the a, NFC Championship game than he did in the game against the Bears. You yeah. know, he looked like a spring chicken out there in the uh, Bears game. And then, you know, here's the other thing. And, and you follow the Packers and tweet about the Packers and God love you for that. I could sing bear down Chicago bears. I won't. It seemed to me that one of his benefit, one of his deals, especially with no fans was his cadence and he'd get credit for, you know, drawing the defense off sides and in the championship game. And I wasn't even a Packer fan. It was infuriating. He wouldn't take his hands out of his pants until about three seconds to go on the play clock. And then you, the whole the whole world knew he was about to get the ball when he took his hands out of his pants. So all you had to do was watch his hands 
to see that you aren't going to jump. And then he takes his hands out, ran the clock down about 15. I don't, did you notice that or is it just me? Well, I mean, I, I do watch the games, obviously, more than you. Part of his deal. But the cadence thing, you're right. It's been it's been a, a benefit of his all season long. And, um, you know, but I, I will this. Tampa took it to him in the regular season uh, in the chip game. And, and that, I mean, you just, that is, that is a horrible matchup for, for Aaron Rodgers. He, he couldn't figure out what they were doing and his receivers couldn't, couldn't find any way of getting open. Right. And the line didn't. So the offensive yeah. line didn't help either. No, terrible performance. It really was. So let's talk baseball. Let's talk, just about to get to the Chiefs and the. Okay, we'll go ahead and talk baseball. Uh, what the what's going to happen with? Let's talk about the rules briefly, and then we'll get into the uh, passing of some of the Brewer greats. Uh, are they going to have? Do we know anything about the rules for twenty twenty one? Are they going to start runners at second base again and have still 40, have we 40, still no no word right. So, so the, within the last few days, um, the players turned down the DH for the National League Yay! And, and expanded playoffs. Good. Uh, and and I think the bottom line there is they, they don't think they were getting enough of the uh, financial package that expanded playoffs. So I think they're, they're saying because of that, we're not going to give you the benefit of having the DH because um, they're basically saying it's not enough. Adding guys to the national league is not enough for us. If you're going to expand the playoffs and make all this money and not really give us any of it. So I think where they are right now, I don't think that's a dead issue. I just think that's where they are in the middle of January. And, and Jamie, it has been uh, a new track record here in the last year or two that major league baseball just a week before the season starts or in the middle of a season will just adjust rules and and just implement um you know like the expanded playoff format wasn't set in stone until they started playing this abbreviated season um and things like that and and i think too with the um the new collective bargaining agreement that's still out there for starting in 2022 that hasn't been negotiated with. I think right now with these guys, because of the pandemic and stuff, anything's on the table right now. I I, I don't think no means no. And I don't think yes means yes right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I was hopeful that they'd play 162, that they'd have this old format for the playoffs that they would not have a runner at second base and that the national league would have the DH. Um, you know, all those things are going to probably get negotiated out in the next, uh, collective bargaining agreement, which will probably not get done until May. Somebody's going to, you know, I, I just have a, a, you know, bad feeling borne out by history about the collective bargaining agreement. It seems like the, uh, um, the players, that are making a ton of money are the guys that are outspoken and, um, you know, and Scott Boris. So it'll be interesting, but the, the thing that's got to piss off the players right now is the free agent market is just not happening. I mean, they're plucking off a few guys at a time 
Uh, but man, if you look at the list of just relief pitchers that are available, it's like 110. Yeah. Well, and there's been very little movement. Um, and that movement's pretty much gone to, um, the Yankees, the Mets, the Nationals, maybe the Dodgers, um, Padres. Padres have been obviously very, very aggressive, but I think more through, um, and so, but outside of their trades, there hasn't been a ton of, I mean, the Cubs were involved in one of those trades, but they haven't signed significant either. You know, when you talk about, if you're just talking about big market right now, because big market right now, you know, the Mets are trying to retool and compete with the Yankees, Yankees counter by saying, well, we have to sign our guys too. If you're going to sign your guys, you know, it, that's, that, that's pretty simple in New York, but the rest of it has been, you know, pretty quiet Atlanta, uh, maybe a signing or two. Um, but the, the rest of these teams, you know, they're, they lost so dang much money. Um, they want to keep an eye on things. And I, and I also think like in the Brewers case, there's still been, you know, uh, a lot out there that they could trade Josh Hader. Um, and, and maybe they could, if they, if they got a package, you know, big enough that they felt comfortable with, I mean, he just, they settled in arbitration. He's going to be making five or six million dollars a year as the closer. And how, you know how many times will they need him if they're not going to field an overly competitive team? You know, I mean, got to ask yourself that question. Yeah, if I were the uh, if I were the uh, players' union, I would certainly be trying to uh, do some dramatic changes to get. Uh, rid of the eighty million dollar a year salary structure and get everybody up to one hundred and seventy million. Uh, and if you scream the blues, sell your team. You know it's just the way it is, and it's it's not fair to the fans that all these stars, you know, go from hither to yither to yon. And even though you look back at uh, a lot of players in the, you know, we all have this belief that in the 50s and 60s players stayed with the same team forever that just isn't true but it would be nice if the uh you know the the cubs hang on to good players or the brewers hang on to good players and and, and pay them but I, I understand they lost money um so it'll be it'll be interesting but and it's all going to point to next next year i think but um man oh man it's the Cubs. I I was talking to Bob Solis about Sammy, and Sammy had a he had a you know he sat out. He played in Japan in 2019, re-injured his arm, rehabbed without surgery through 2020, and the Dodgers uh, gave him a look a couple of weeks ago, and he was only throwing 91, 92, 93, and they wanted to get his velocity up if he could. And I'm going, Bob, have have Sammy's agent called the Cubs. They're, they're, you know, Zach Davies is the hard throwing 88 mile an hour guy on their starting rotation. There's room for Sammy. <laughs> They've got, they're terrible. Is, no, is Sammy a left-hander? Yeah. Well, he doesn't need to throw above 92 then. My God. I agree. I mean, and the guy had In more success. <laughs> he had success. And, and I mean, I always say Paul Ossenmacher, the guy pitched for 20 years without, you know, he threw an inning a week. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, true. He, he got, 
he'll 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 find a team being a a, a healthy left-handed pitcher he'll find a team and and he does not need that velocity that's that's almost surprising to me that the Dodgers would want that I mean they need they don't need a guy like him coming in and trying to increase his velocity yeah and I would think that the Dodgers might be the if I was his agent the Dodgers would be the last place I'd be having him throw for I mean you've got the A's everybody that rhymes with uh, you know A J's Rays um low budget teams <laughs> the rays the brewers <laughs> hey let's talk about unfortunately nobody got in the hall of fame i think that's just great what a bunch of thugs in that class of uh, that was who, was not appealing um list of of uh players that's for sure um oh. but i you know in i think that i think it's interesting because we we know uh there are hundreds and hundreds of writers who get to cast a vote for this and they're still I, I think it's been interesting in the last year or two just to just to know that this class of uh these guys that we're talking about were in this class and and up for you know position to be elected in that the that the writers are are really the last line of defense on um deciding the fate of somebody's uh longevity of of their of their livelihood in the game um obviously into retirement the way it is right now and and baseball can't do anything to to any of these guys they didn't they didn't while they were playing at least some of them anyway and now the writers are saying i'm not going to i'm not going to let you in I'm not going to make it easy for you. I'm going to make you sweat. And I don't think they, they care about Kurt Schilling sweating or not, but I think they care about some of the other guys who, you know, along the line, you know, mysteriously had interesting careers highlighted by some interesting tales. So, yeah, I saw Sammy Sosa interviewed on some show and Sammy, uh, you know, underwent some dramatic changes to his skin color and also to his body size. Not that I can talk. And Sammy, you know, they pointed out that he had never been, he never tested negative in a test that was authorized by, you know, the uh, uh, agreement between management and the union. But they said, you know, in that one time when they could be tested and, and it didn't count, he, he tested positive. And they basically said, you know, what about that, Sammy? And he goes, basically, well, so everybody did it. So big deal. I made a lot of money and I'm happy. So if I don't, if I don't get in the Hall of Fame, I don't get in the Hall of Fame. But that's kind of, that's kind of Sammy's attitude. And Schilling, I thought was great. Like, take me off the ballot. I'll just wait for my buddies on the Veterans Committee to put me in. And man, the Veterans Committee is stingier than the writers, if you haven't yeah. noticed. So, um you know, the other thing in that, in sort of that regard of cheating was Trevor Bauer. Did you read where Trevor Bauer said 70% of major league pitchers have a foreign substance that assists them in their spin rate, increasing their spin rate? Obviously, some substance that includes pine tar. And that was just a recent statement, which I'm sure there's validity to it. If Hell, I watch TV and these guys' hats have crap in the middle of their hat. You've seen it. Every game, oh, yeah. they've got yeah. something up there. 
and they go yeah. to their hat. And uh, so is that cheating like steroids or I don't know. And maybe instead of a veterans committee, you have a cheater committee. And the committee, they have a <laughs> cheater wing in the hall and, and the, the best cheaters uh, and put, put Bonds and Clements on, on that committee and have them pick people who they think didn't cheat quite as well as they did, but were right up there in their Hall of Fame cheating career. And, uh, you know, maybe Pete Rose gets in that way and Joe Jackson gets in that way and Sammy and Palmero and da-da-da-da-da. I don't know. It's another great idea I had, don't you think? That idea right there, the Cheaters Committee. <laughs> the Cheaters Committee in a separate hall. And maybe it's not in Cooperstown. Maybe they put that in Hoboken or something. Uh, nothing against Hoboken. For all my listeners out in New Jersey. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Hank and Don. Ooh. How about uh, it? So I, I just want to say it has been in in Wisconsin last week. Uh, Don Sutton died on Tuesday. On Wednesday, uh, a long time, highly respected uh, sports writer from the Journal Sentinel died, Bud Lee. He covered the Packers for like 50 years. Um, and then uh, Hank Aaron passed away. And there was another death, too. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but wasn't Aaron Rodgers. It was no, that that came that came later in the week. Um, but anyway, it was it was uh, but with Don Sutton. Um, I, I remember working for the Brewers in 82. I was an usher. I thought that was your distinguished career as an Andy Frame usher. It was. And we, we wore the, the whole suit and tie and hat. The but anyway, blue. I when he it. was traded to Milwaukee, it was, it was, um, uh, it was like, we, we couldn't believe it. It was the August 30th trade deadline. So, it was uh, a last-ditch effort to you know, boost the starting pitching staff, and it was one of the most brilliant trades ever. They wouldn't have gotten into their only World Series if they didn't have them there. And uh, you fit into the community. Um, he, he is uh, one of the classiest people um, ever to play the game. And, and I think the city of Milwaukee, and his, he was here for two, a little over two years, I think. Uh, but he... Um, you know that that was something, but I mean, the whole the whole thing of what he did in the month of September and the playoffs, and especially the uh, deciding regular season finale in Baltimore. I I think I've shared that story with you. He went up against Jim Palmer, and and um, the Brewers had a four game lead with no three game lead with four games to play against Baltimore, and they went in and lost a doubleheader on Friday lost the game Saturday. And so suddenly they're tied uh, in game 162 and it's Sutton and Palmer in Baltimore. And uh, Ted Simmons is the uh, brewer catcher. He calls him down for coffee Sunday morning. And he said, here's a list of all of the national league hitters that you're going to be facing today in the Baltimore Orioles lineup. And Sutton's like, what do you mean? And he goes, you've never faced these guys so I went and researched who these Orioles were one through nine versus who you faced 
this year in your career in the National League. And that's how they pitched through it. He pitched a brilliant game and the and you know, those type of things in a, in a 50 plus year history of baseball in Milwaukee, we have very few things to hang on to. <laughs> well, he, uh, that, that, that's a great story. Um, I know you, and I, I keep trying to find, and when, when my firm dissolved, I lost a lot of my email from those guys, but, uh, Nelly would email me his Nelly remembers stories that were just great, you know, and I, I know you heard and joined in them, but the one he tells about Don Sutton and, you know, it's uh, his first year in the minor leagues and the bus breaks down and they're in friggin' hot desert of California and the team has to basically walk to the ballpark and they basically uh, are exhausted by the time they get there. And Don Sutton, who nobody would ever really faced, was a pitcher and he just mows them down and, and, after the game, somebody goes, God, I looked at the schedule, Nellie, and we got to come back here in two weeks and play them again. And Nellie goes, don't worry, Sutton won't be here. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was a uh, vintage Dave. Yeah, that was vintage. That's a vintage uh, Davey story right there for sure. He And he enjoys, he enjoyed telling those stories. And I'm glad he had a good one like that for Sutton because, man, he just, every, he was, the, the type of pitcher in person that he just went on to the next thing kind of uh, with um, eloquent, gracefully, he, he just got better just the way you, you'd hope if you were playing in professional sports, his longevity, um, he fit in and trades, you know, that, that he ended up changing clubs and all that in cities. And, um, but man, they, they had, uh, he had some wins in uh, in a Dodger uniform, that's for sure. I mean, I oh my god, it's pretty amazing. And most, after most... that, I'm broadcaster, yeah, Braves, uh, and um, we we just it was a big treat when he you know made his one time visit every summer to Milwaukee when the Braves came in, and you know we'd want to do an interview or just sit down and talk to him or grab him for a minute, and um, he was always very, very uh, gracious. That's for so. Class. The uh, the most amazing statistic, or whatever you want to call it, of Don Sutton that I, I'm not sure anybody else will ever or has ever done. He didn't miss a start ever. Is that right? Never missed one start. His spot in the rotation came up. Boom. He was on the mound, and I saw another stat where his number of wins and number of strikeouts puts him in a league with Nolan Ryan and two or three other guys, one named Cy Young and some other deal where this guy, you know, was one of the great all time top 15 in terms of wins, but never missed a start. And how do you, how do you do that? And let me tie in my story that I've told a number of times and may have just told it a half an hour ago, but when, when I was, on that great SMU Mustang baseball team in 1969 were visited by Ted Ulander and Don Sutton and it's raining and it's 40 degrees, 35 degrees. And, and this guy, I'd never heard of either one of these guys, but of course, so he knew somebody on the team or the coach and he's out there before they go to spring training in January, 
playing long toss before anybody ever knew what long toss was. And here it's drizzling, it's 35, 40 degrees. And I said to my buddy next to me, I go, I don't know who these yahoos are. Ulander had a, uh, a long sleeve vinyl shirt, like he's trying to lose weight. Sutton was out there playing long toss with no sleeves, just, you know, just his shirt. And I said to my buddy, I don't know who this bozo is, but he won't be around next year because he'll throw <laughs> his arm out. <laughs> and of course, what, 23 years later in the major leagues, he, uh, you know, the rest is history, but that, uh, that was great. That was great. What a good guy. And I saw him. And of course I played the Nelly card whenever I'd go to a baseball card show to get guys to sign bats and balls for exorbitant prices and Sutton, man, just like you said, true gentleman, you know, talked about Dave and talked about playing him in California and just, uh, couldn't be a nicer guy. He's right up there. I have my hall of fame of guys I got autographs from, and he's right there with Duke Snyder. What a great guy he was, as was him, as was Henry Aaron. Of course, yeah. I got a Nelly story about Henry too, that I, that I mentioned, but, um, you know, Sutton, I didn't need Nelly. I didn't really, I knew Nelly. No, I hadn't met Nelly by then, but, uh, we went to a place for dinner after a game and, uh, we walk in and who's at the bar, but Lou Brock. And of course, Nellie goes up, starts talking to Lou and me and my buddies, we all walk over like a pack of little ducklings behind Dave, <laughs> <laughs> sit down next to Lou and start talking about, uh, you know, base stealing. But I, I was doing preparation before our production meeting today. And in preparation for this second episode of 2021, and I came across, you probably heard this before, but uh, Muhammad Ali had this to say about Henry Aaron. He said, the only man I idolize more than myself is Hank Aaron. Is that I right? Thought, I thought that was pretty cool coming from one of the greatest iconic legends in the history of American sports. So Henry Aaron, what a class guy. It is, uh, it is something that... Um... You know, he played for, what, 23 years. And there are so many really, really cool stats that he still owns. Um, and, of course, a lot of people, I always, you know, I've publicly said this, and I, he's still the all-time. I'll always believe that. Um, but what, what he did, you know, immediately after he was done playing, um, you know, he, this whole, you know, chasing the dream foundation he put together really, really was a quiet start, but it has been, it has meant more to, um, you know, kids of color and, um, you know, educational uh, places that are kind of downtrodden right now and, and have been, um I mean, we, we need this, and this guy this guy had it in his heart to start it, and um, and it's a it's a nationwide it's a nationwide foundation, which is pretty cool. Um, but he, you know, he's highly respected for for giving back, and to him, it was. I met him and interviewed him. We did a we did a half hour show together, and he's very soft spoken. Um, he's not a bragger. He won't tell you anything that unless you ask him, 
you know, and, um, and he, you know, he was great in that way, but he was one of the, I, I can't name another person. And I, I think that I've, you know, in the 30 plus years I've been in this business where when he walked in the room, if it was Henry Aaron, man, and it was, it gave you goosebumps. It made you nervous to talk. It made you sweat. Um, he's the only guy that, that ever, and a lot of people say that, and it's, and it's not like he was intimidating. It's just, you knew how great he was, um, statistically, obviously, but you also knew how, if you know his story of, you know, growing up and getting through the major, uh, he was an even greater individual, Jackie Robinson, like, you know, there's very few of those guys that, that could have done what they did for as long as they did. And, um, it's just a shame to, to dive into the, you know, the books and the, in the history, the background stories and stuff that he went through chasing that home run record back in the early seventies stuff. The eight mail was off the charts, man. Yeah. It's a sad testimonial about the state of America then, and maybe even the state of America now, but the thing about Hank, I mean, and I didn't know him, but I, I, I watched him forever and, um, you know, he did play in what I always refer to as the flannel era. His, he, you know, he gained a little weight, but he never really, whenever you'd see him, whenever I'd see him, and it wasn't that often, he never really changed his appearance. He always looked like he could still go play until near the end. And um, he just, you know, like Ernie Banks and like Willie Mays, all different personalities. But it's funny, back then, in that 50s and 60s, the African-American players were few and far between, and they were all stars, or most of them. I mean, you had a Billy Bruton and a Wes Covington, who I wouldn't put in the same league as Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Ernie Banks. But you look at the, uh, and I go back, and when, when Hank passed away, I went back and pulled out baseball cards and started looking at the 57 and 58 Braves, by, by the way. This is probably not politically correct, but there could not be a better uniform ever than the uh, Milwaukee Braves home and away jerseys. Oh my God! I mean, the tomahawk. Yeah. Now probably wouldn't yeah. fly. With you, it's not probably politically correct, but guess what? The Braves are still using it, so you know. Well, the Chiefs still do the yeah, like the Atlanta Braves, the tomahawk chop. Anyway. Um, you know, what you, you listen to, he gets on the train in, in Mobile. And speaking of Mobile, I looked up all the major, you know, the major league players from Alabama. I mean, there must be 300. That's major. guys that play in the major leagues that were born in Alabama. It's unbelievable, yeah. including two guys we're talking about, Sutton and, and, uh, and Aaron. Sutton yeah. was born in Cilio. Alabama. And um, let's see, Bart Starr was born in Alabama as well. Uh, Star Dollar, touchdown. Two of the greatest uh, Wisconsin sports figures and perspective, I mean, in their, in their sport period, Hall of Famers. Kind of cool. But yeah, 
it's something all right uh, from date and stuff. But um, yeah, the uh, the you know the one one thing that I find pretty interesting is uh, Hank only won one MVP, and but he didn't have these seasons where he'd hit 50, 55 home runs and drive 65 runs. He was just so consistent. You know, one, one of my favorite stats for him is he's the only baseball player in history to hit 20 home runs in 20 different seasons. And he's only one of two players with 15 seasons of at least 30 home runs. I, I think his home run total is 45 one year. He never hit 50. But he, he'd always give you 20. He's like you were saying with Sutton. He always took the ball every start, never missed a start. Yeah. Hank was hardly ever injured. And I'd get you 30 or 40, 45 home runs and not get 130 runs. But he did for so many years. Um, obviously, at the end of, you know, when he came to the Brewers, he just wanted to finish his sure. stuff. But um, dude played years. Amazing. Stuff, so well, I'm not sure if it wasn't three years in a row of MVP with Aaron Banks and Banks. Um, I'll have to look that up. I know Ernie won back-to-back MVPs. It seems like Aaron won it in '57, and Banks might have won it in '58 and '59. I'm not. I'm not I know positive. '57, and he was only 23 years old. It says here, um, and and he finished in like the top five voting numerous times maybe maybe the most ever if i'm if i read that right but he only won one mvp kind of crazy but what you know look at who he played in the same years as clementi and mace and stargell and and all those guys but you know in the early years the stories are great i mean you've heard he had three dollars and he got on a train to go to indianapolis wearing his sister's clothes and was a cross-handed hitting shortstop and um, and, and even with all that spent, you know, a few weeks with the Negro leagues and then went to, uh, uh, the Braves and only spent two years in the minor leagues and comes up when Bobby Thompson got hurt and yeah. got to play. And, uh, you know, there's another iconic guy who's known for, you know, <laughs> one swing of the bat and Hank's known for God only knows how many swings of the bat made solid contact with the baby going out of the ballpark it's great that was that era craig is so much fun to look at and talk about and think of compared to you know i'm sorry right now it's you don't have that you you just you got great players from mike trout to um to whoever uh, but it's just not it's just not the same I, i'm not sure if it's the money I think you're right about that. And I think, you know, the bottom line is there were so fewer teams there uh, in that era that you're talking about compared to now the, the 30 teams. And um, I mean, how many teams were, were in the 1950s? Did they have, was it nope. four? They had eight, was, eight, eight teams in each league. Eight teams in each league. Right. You know, That's, so, so if, if, if you were a Milwaukee Braves fan in the fifties, you would see, you know, Cincinnati, St. Louis, uh, on and on and on the Cubs. You'd see the same teams. You know, they they were always there. And same with, you know, growing up in Chicago, whether you're watching WGN for the Cubs or the Sox, you'd see 
So you, you know, you knew these guys or you knew who they were as a, as a young fan, you know, you knew who, who Dick Drott was or who uh, Mo Drabowski was or who Billy Bruton was or who Wes Covington was. Whereas, you know, and I was telling somebody the, the African-Americans never made up number 23, four or five of a roster. They were, they were in the lineup and, you know, I'm not sure if that's because of racial prejudice or because of what, uh, but now you look and it's, it's certainly a more diverse roster in every franchise, which is good. Uh, but it just was a thing that when I'm looking back at these baseball cards, the black guys were the studs. I mean, they were, they were, you know, and, and then the, the Latin American guys too, with Clemente and Cepeda and all these guys. I, it's fun. That's why I love my baseball cards. It's just, and I was watching some show on MLB network and, the, and some famous rapper, I don't uh, public enemy or something like that. I don't know. He did a, he did about all my baseball card guys are dead or something like that. And it's like a famous song now, but he didn't just talk about, you know, all the 10 hall of fame guys. He talked about Jay Johnstone and Glenn Becker and some of these other guys that were his baseball cards that are, that are no longer around. It's pretty, I have to listen to it. I haven't listened to it. Well, I, I think it's I think it's cool that um, you have the, you have really fond memories of of an era that I only have uh, the ability to research in, and um, you know my dad's passed away now, but he went to brave game after brave game after brave game. He and my mom would would buy I don't know how much bleacher tickets were back then, probably fifty cents or a quarter. They probably weren't even a buck, and and they would sit in left field. And um, I remember, you know, let's see, I was probably eight, nine or 10, something like that. When, when Hank Aaron got traded to the Brewers in the early seventies, mid seventies. And one of the first games I remember going to that my dad took me to is we went to see him uh, play and we sat in the left field bleachers where he always sat at County stadium. And Hank hit his first Brewer home run in that game. It landed, you know, probably two or three rows right in front of us. I mean, I saw that thing and I'm thinking that ball is coming right to us. And then, and then it sent, you know, your heart's like, I want to grab that thing. And everyone was ready for it. And then it just sank down about three rows right in front of us. But Little things like that, you know, and that's a great memory I have with my dad. And I'm sure at that time, my dad was like, isn't this great? You know, that I watched all these Braves games and now I'm taking you to Brewer games and look, Heck yeah. look, look at the link. It's Hank Aaron for crying out loud. You know, that that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool personal story. But I mean, you know, he, he loved going to games and, and you're right. I mean, to see these guys series after series, you're, you're, it's like watching uh, a revolving door of all-star games coming through because there's many teams back then. Yeah. I mean, that's a great story and that's a great, that's a great memory. And it's a great link that a lot of us, whether your age or my age had that common uh, variable was going to a game with your dad. I mean, it was a big deal. I'm not sure if my kids will remember with great uh, joy going to 
all the World Series games that we were lucky enough to go to from 1995 with the Indians through 2016 with the Cubs. Um, you know, my my guys have uh, had that benefit, but I'm not sure it'll have that warm, fuzzy spot like it, it does with me. And And you're right. I didn't realize Ted Williams was something to watch. He was just part of the Red Sox that came to town or, you know, getting to watch um, some of these other guys, Warren Spahn, Johnny Sane, uh, Lou Burdett come into Wrigley Field and play. It was like, okay, you know, uh, not a big deal. And now you look back and what a great time to be a, a fan. Just a great and time. Add, you know, I'm just listening to you talk about this and I, I, I guess, you know, I'm slow and don't put two and two together, but you had, you go to, you went to watch both teams play in Chicago so you, you theoretically watched every major league team come through multiple times every summer at your disposal. True. And, and a lot on WGN because every game, I mean, they were a forerunner of, of broadcasting sports. They didn't just do the away games. They did, you know, they did everything. So you'd come home from school and watch the Cubs and then the White Sox would be on that night. Now, Back then, and maybe even today, there are very few guys that liked both teams, including me. I mean, I, my dad, my granddad, diehard Southside guys, diehard White Sox fans, hated the Cubs, hated the Cubs. I did, too. I just inherited this hatred to the extent that uh, when the Cubs lost in the playoffs, I was ecstatic. Now, you go, wait a minute, you're Mr. Cub now, <laughs> and it's funny that does not happen to very many guys. Most guy, most of my my buddies that are that I still keep in touch with are Sox fans. Hate the Cubs to this day. Hate the Cubs. Reinstorf hates the Cubs. Won't even go to Wrigley Field. And for some reason, well, because of Nelly broadcasting and my kids watching Dave, be so excited to get that Cub job. And he was at our house during that Christmas season that um, <laughs> that he got it. And in fact. You know, like I said, uh, God love Nelly. Here's Nelly. I pulled this article out. It's Nelly in the uh, an article by uh, Jerry Holtzman, who was a famous writer for the Chicago Sun Times, probably. But he does this article, and um, what's what's the headline on it again? I, the headline is "Remembering Davy Nelson and the Call from WGN." and AM 720 that changed his life. And oh, yeah. the call was, um, he had interviewed for this job a couple times with a guy named Chuck Swarsky. And Swarsky was the guy that hired for WGN. And I remember Dave was talking about, you know, maybe getting that, getting that gig, because he was currently, at that time, he was the, the director of minor league activities for Oakland. And it's like between Christmas and New Year's and Nellie and I are back at whatever house I was living in at that time. And he gets the call that changed his life was Chuck Swarsky saying, hey, we're hiring you to replace Jim Fry on the broadcast. And Jim Fry had taken Lou Boudreaux's spot, even though people thought Nellie took Boudreaux's spot. And Nellie and I was like, he'd won the World Series. We're jumping around. Now, this was back in 88, 89. So now I'm 
38 years old. I mean, that was a long time ago. And here's Nelly, who is Nelly, and he's like 42. He gets the call that he's going to have what I thought was the greatest job in baseball, daytime radio broadcast of the Cubs. What a gig. And this guy writes, uh, and I'm quoting his article, he goes, several interviews later, right around Christmas, the station called with the good news. He and his Kansas-based lawyer, didn't mention my name, had to go across the state lines to buy champagne to celebrate on that Sunday afternoon. And that's so too. Kansas was dry on Sunday. We went over to Berbelius, bought some whatever to celebrate, probably wine. And, you know, I pulled this out and I'm thinking, um, you know, that was an interesting part of his uh, lifetime that you've shared intimately with Dave during uh the times that you and he got to work together and um at any rate i thought that was and everything comes back to nelly that's okay (laughs) hey that's that's why i started this thing i mean that i i think i think the cool thing about it is you know that this era that we're talking about that was so special you know in the 50s and and then and then nelly got the next um, the next in line opportunity in the sixties to take this now to the, to an even greater level. I mean, think of the, think of the connection, you know, he's, he's intertwined in, in Hank Aaron's career, you know, um, and for, for a pretty good period of time, I mean, it wasn't just like a year crossover. It was late sixties into the mid 1970s and, and stuff. And, um, and then, you know, we just lost our buddy a few years ago. That's a, that's a great point. Decade after decade after decade after decade after decade is what we're talking about. And the stories don't stop, which is cool. And, and they're all they're all intertwined somehow, uh, which to me, this is what makes baseball so great. Yeah, I agree. So, that's, that is a great point that I'm just kind of in my own mind going back and thinking about, you know, that transition period and and dave was the transition guy uh you know he has stories about reggie not that they're that uh um positive about reggie but orlando cepeda and uh, and all the way through it didn't and again i go back to my baseball card days because i really didn't you know i didn't hang out with dave all that much my wife probably thought i hung out with dave a lot but um everybody had a nelly story and every but he had a Nelly story from Nelly and they had a Nelly story about Nelly, all these hall of fame guys and Tom Seaver and he were buddies and goose Gossage John and on and on and on and on. So you're right. I never really thought about it, but he kind of spanned that fifties into the seventies and eighties. And then he coached and all these guys um, had great, great stories about him. Yeah. It'll be fun. I, we're going to do another Nelly Palooza in April. That last year was a blast. And yeah. maybe maybe I'll be vaccinated by then. We can go to Wards, do a little podcast <laughs> from Brian's. That would be great. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and I'll probably be uh, in 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 line to get my vaccination like by September if you get yours in April. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you get to the barber. But thanks again. It's always a blast. Uh, not only does everybody enjoy listening to you, but uh, I certainly do. So let me. Uh, Put you on hold there for a minute. 
So there you have it, everybody. That was uh, Craig Kasham joining us. Uh, talk is great always to talk to Craig, and we get into Nelly, we get into whatever, but it's always fun. And and thanks to all the listeners for listening on however you catch this show. Um, this is a little longer today, but that's okay. Uh, you can work out longer and listen to uh, On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And, uh, you know, go look at your baseball memorabilia if you got to go look at whatever. But, um, or on the MLB network or whatever, there's always stuff to look at that uh, it's good era for those of you that are my age or older. <laughs> anyway, be good, be happy, be safe, and uh, we'll catch up next week on the lighter side of baseball. <laughs> <laughs>